You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. That's good. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, God's invitations. First, I'm going to start by inviting all of our children up through grade five to go in the back with Jamal, who is waving his hands back there. And you guys will have way more fun than we are about to have. All right. So we're talking about listening today. And God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? So just listen twice as much as you speak, and we're good. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. That's all I have. We're good. All right. Obviously, I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. Um, So we are talking about God's invitations today and specifically how our senses of sight and sound play important roles in our perception of God, but also our subsequent response within our own lives and within our communities. And so last week, Drew talked about sight. Um, If we are too nearsighted, we can miss the bigger picture um, and the longer range or even eternal consequences of our actions and our choices. But if we're too farsighted, and if our faith is only focused on earning some particular like afterlife situation, um, we're also going to miss God's very real call for our lives right now, right here. And so today, we're going to talk about how that plays out with sound. Um, And I also want to preface this by emphasizing that this is not just a message for people who can see and people who can hear. Um, people who are blind or have vision issues very much can see God and God's people. Those who are deaf or hard of hearing can hear from God and hear from God's people. And those who have difficulties with speech can speak up um, in their communities and their context. So just want to put that out there as well. And so next, um, I want to ask a question, and I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes to pass the piece and talk about it with those around you. We might have a slide. Um, And so my question is, when is a time that you did something without listening first and then found out that you should have? So when is a time that you messed around and found out? (laughs) All right. So we're going to have two minutes to talk about that with the people around you.
All right. Seems like you guys are having a lot of great conversations, but for the sake of time, I'm going to pull us back in. All right, maybe we're coming back down a little bit. Two ears, one mouth. That's a great, thank you for reminding me of that, guys. It's ear time. Um, so does anyone, is anyone like a glutton for embarrassment and would really like to share their story with anybody, with all of us? Okay, just me. That's fine. So I did think of a couple of examples. Um, the first one is kind of like a loose analogy for what we're talking about, but I love loose analogies, and you know that if you know me, so just bear with me. Um, okay, so raise your hand if you've put together a piece of furniture from like Ikea or Amazon, Wayfair, most people um, begrudgingly raising your hands. Um, so you get those like little bags full of all of these like pieces that you've never seen before and don't look like any like screw that has ever existed. And you get like way more pieces and like bars and boards than you think actually go into what you're building, right? If you're lucky, you get a set of instructions. If you're luckier, it might have words in your preferred language and even pictures. Um, I am very much a pictures-only kind of guy. Um, but one time, so recently I bought this cabinet that I was going to put together, and I'm like, this looks pretty straightforward. Like, I think I know where these bolts go, and I think I know where these boards go. I don't even need to look at the pictures. Um, and I was wrong. Um, so after two very frustrating hours, after basically almost breaking the thing to put it together, got it set up, stepped back, and realized I had put it together backwards, and all of the things that I needed to be on one side were on the other side. Um, so after probably another hour of basically breaking it to disassemble and reassemble it, um, I looked at the pictures that time again. Um, I realized how important, like listening first, seeking the information that was already available to me before I decided to accomplish whatever task at hand that I was trying to do. And so had I done that first, it would have saved myself a lot of frustration. I wouldn't have broken my cabinet. Um, and I would have just saved a lot of time, done it right the first time. Um, and so the second also kind of loose example I have was from this kind of meme that I've been seeing going around Facebook. And I think you have all have seen that, like, um, like be nice to everybody because you don't know what they're going through kind of thing. Like, you go out to dinner and your service is really slow and you're annoyed, so you flip out. Um, and then you realize, like, um, oh, well, my server's parents just died and they got evicted and their tire's flat, which there's a screw in my tire right now, so if you go outside, my tire might be flat. Um, you know, they they're barely made it to work on time and they have to pay to get a new car and a new apartment and all of that. And they were just having a bad day, like we all do, but you were impatient. You didn't take the time to like listen and enter into somebody else's story, and you flipped out, and you just made everything worse. Um, and so, like I said, I think we've all seen a lot of that going around Facebook, and especially with like some of the jobs that had been hardest hit during the pandemic, like service jobs. And I think that that basically is kind of this like warning to us, or this notice of like the consequences of speaking or acting um, without listening first, or like moving to a response before we actually understand the stimulus. Um, and so that is kind of like a, both of those are kind of small niche examples, but I also think it's more, more broadly applicable as well. 
Um, don't assume that you know what you need to know what you need to know to do what you need to do. You have to listen first. Um, and so I work in public health, and in public health programming, we talk a lot about community engagement. Um, when you are planning for like particular inter interventions in a community, um, and so what that basically means is like. can't just swoop in and save the day and set up this amazing program or facility or project that's going to do what you think. Um, even if you have like data to support, like we know this need exists, we're going to come in and do it. Um, you have to go in first and meet with the community, um, find the leaders of the community and those who are going to be affected by what you're doing, and you have to let them tell you their experiences with whatever you're doing. And then with whatever resources you have, you resource them and empower them to set up the program or project or facility or whatever that works best for them. And that actually is responsive to the needs that they are telling you that you have. You have to listen before you speak, before you do anything. And I think that the idea is also the same in our faith journeys. Um, if we don't seek and listen to truth first, we can't speak truth effectively. You can't give what you don't get. And if we are not listening to God and listening to the people around us, to our neighbors, whom we are called to love, we are acting without the knowledge and the wisdom necessary to carry out God's will. And if we are listening but fail to speak, particularly on behalf of those who might be oppressed or marginalized or disadvantaged, um, and especially if we claim to be followers of a faith tradition, we are representing a God who looks like is not listening and is not paying attention. Um, and I think we all probably have seen how much harm that the church has done for knowing truth and not responding to it in our communities. Um, and so that gives me to my bottom line, which is um, basically, if you don't hear anything else today, and this is what you remember, that is great. Um, which is being made in God's image, we were made to listen and speak just as God does. So God gives us that example of both listening and speaking effectively that we are to follow. All right. So now we're going to get into the um, passage that Crystal read for us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to get a little bit of context before we jump into chapter 3. So Samuel is the son of Elkanah and one of his wives, Hannah, those traditional biblical family values, right? One of his wives. Um, and so his other wife, Peninnah, had children for a long time in their marriages, um, but Hannah did not. And Peninnah was a bully. He, she... Um, really bullied Hannah and like did not let her forget that you are barren, you don't have kids, God doesn't like you, you suck. Um, and like that wasn't fun for Hannah, as I'm sure we could imagine. And so they took this like annual trip to the temple to kind of sacrifice for the family and do sort of Judaism stuff there. Um, and they had this meal. And Hannah basically every time is just like weeping and crying the whole time because Peninnah is making fun of her and she doesn't even eat and it's this whole thing. So they go one year and they're doing this and she's being bullied and she's crying and she is like just, I mean, inconsolable and she just starts praying to God that she would be blessed with a son. 
and that if she is blessed with a son, then she would give him to God for God's service. She wouldn't cut his hair. Um, there are also some oral traditions that said that like he wouldn't drink alcohol. It's kind of a Nazarite vow, very similar to what um, Samson's mother would have kind of spoken over him. So she prays, she goes home, she gets pregnant, she has her son, and she names him Samuel, which sounds a lot like the Hebrew word for heard by God. Um, so she, she prays to God and she asks, and God listens. Um, and then when that promise is fulfilled, she honors God by naming Samuel, Samuel, and also by holding up her end of the bargain. So um, once Samuel was weaned, um, which is probably like when he was about a toddler, um, she took him back to the temple and she presented him to God and left him there to work under Eli, who was the, pre the head priest there at the time. Um, so basically kind of, you know, like dropping your kid off at college kind of thing, except he's like two and a half years old. <laughs> and so she drops him off. He's there. He's doing his thing. Um, Eli also had some sons at the time who were kind of priests under him. So Eli was in the, the line of Aaron and the Levites who had a long time ago been promised that their family would be priests forever. They would be in charge of the temple. So his sons were adults. They were priests. Um, and chapter 2, I think, um, it describes his sons as being scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord. Um, basically, they were kind of like bending the rules and the traditions back then um, to benefit themselves and to take larger portions of the offerings. Um, so the, the priests who, were, who ran and lived in the temple lived basically off of like tithes and the offerings from the community who would come to the temple and give. Um, but they were like skimming off the top, taking the better meat, which was supposed to be given to God as an offering. They were taking more than they were supposed to. They were also... Um, sleeping with the women who were kind of working in the temple and serving. Um, not great people, um, and really turning the holy practices of the temple and the people and taking the holy places there um, and just turning them into opportunities to satisfy their own desires, their own greed, um, whatever they want. Um, Eli, at one point, tries to talk to them to get them to stop, but they would not. Um, there's also a little bit of an implication here that is kind of later confirmed in chapter 3 that um, he didn't, like, really try. He was kind of just like, hey, guys, like, that's not great. You shouldn't do that. All right, I'm going to go over here now. Like, it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. He wasn't taking it as seriously as he should have. Um, and then at the end of chapter 2, somebody comes and gives Eli a prophecy, um, kind of his, like, first warning that um, I think we may have a slide here is like Mushu from Mulan, which is one of my favorite Disney's. Um, well, you can't really read that, but I know you all have seen it. He's like, "All right, that's it. Dishonor on you, dishonor on your family, dishonor on your cow. Like this is done. God is pissed at Eli and his sons, and he revokes that promise that he had given to Aaron, which is Moses's brother, that his line would be the priests forever, um, and that." they, well, they're going to lose their place, and God is going to raise up a new priest and a new line who would sort of replace that um, in response to the corruption that Eli allowed to be brought into the temple. And so that's where we pick up in chapter 3. Um, and we start off, it's late at night, 
um, Eli is falling asleep, and it mentions that he can barely see. And it, it could be that, you know, it's late at night, and, you know, it's just you're tired and you can't see well. He was also very, very old at this point, so could have actually just been going blind. Um, but either way, um, it, it is also metaphorical in that, like, he has grown blind and caused himself to go blind to the corruption and the sins that his sons were bringing into the temple. And by ignoring or refusing God's call to him, one, the truth that he already knew without having to have been warned as a high priest, he knew the rules, he knew the traditions, and he knew what his sons were doing. Um, and by refusing then to listen to, to that truth and then to the messengers that he already had, like that, um, the prophet or the, the person who brought him that message at the end of chapter 2, um, and then respond to that truth by really speaking to his sons and kind of actually holding them accountable, um, he then became blind to what was going on around him. And now, I, biologically, a lot of the times we hear about, like, if you lose one of your senses, like, another one might be strengthened because, you know, your brain's trying to get as much information as possible to make sense of, you know, what's going on around you. Um, but spiritually, I don't think it works like that. Um, when we fail to listen and when we fail to, um, when we ignore the invitation to really perceive God and God's people, we corrupt our own ability to see and hear. Right. And those in the Bible who, which there are plenty of them, um, experience this kind of like corruption of perception are often described as being like heart of heart um, or their hearts have been hardened. And so blind old Eli is going to bed and Sam is in the temple and he keeps hearing someone calling his name and he thinks that it's Eli calling him. Um, and he goes to Eli, what's going on? What do you need? And Eli just keeps sending him back to bed because it wasn't him. Um, and verse 7 says that Samuel had not yet heard from God and did not recognize God's voice. Um, but it was Eli who actually understood what was going on, recognized that voice, and then taught Sam, told Sam, I'm going to call him Sam a lot because that's easier, um, to listen. And, and, and yes, while he was wrong at first about who was speaking to him, he thought it was Eli. One, he enthusiastically responded and made himself available. I loved the way that you read that. It was, he was excited um, to serve, even though he didn't know it was God at first. Um, but also, he was in community with someone who, yes, at this point had become kind of problematic for his own reasons, um, was familiar with the voice of God, and he had experience listening and identifying the voice of God um, in his own life, but then also for Samuel. And then that experience also let him speak that truth to Samuel, hey, this is God, um, and go listen. Um, so I think it's very important that we all are also in community with people who have that more experience and maturity, who can speak truth to us and guide us and can kind of like smack us upside of the head like Eli did, like, um, hey, buddy, that wasn't me, that was God. Go lay down, go listen, be ready to respond. 
And then as we then, through that coaching and teaching from other people, as we get that and we develop our ability to recognize and respond to, God, respond to God's voice, we can then be equipped to speak that truth into other people and provide that training um, and encouragement for the other people in our lives. So then, okay, so God comes back and he's like, Sam, listen, the tea is hot tonight. I got the good gossip, just like I told Eli already through that other guy, even though he didn't listen to me, he is about to get what's coming to him for letting his sons treat me like that and treat the temple like that. And he goes through the whole thing. And so Sam goes to sleep, wakes up. Obviously, Eli knows that God has been dishing and gossiping with Sam all night, and he wants to know what's going on. Um, Okay, so since we can expect that God's voice is truth and that that truth itself, for the most part, is pretty consistent, um, we should be able to expect that God's truth is going to be confirmed or spoken more than once or that truth is going to be given more than once. Um, And we see that here because in chapter 2, we already had a prophet come and give that message to Eli, like, hey, bad stuff is going to happen because of what you're doing. Get it together. Eli does not get it together, and now Samuel is getting that same message. Um, And so we should be looking for ways that God is speaking the same truth to us over and over again. Um, and confirming some particular word or message in our life or the message or that message or truth in other people's lives. It's very, I have found myself on both ends of like talking to someone like, how do you not see what's going on right in front of you? Just open your eyes. And then also been that person that's like, oh, wow, like how did I not see that was going on? And I needed someone else to speak that for me. Um, So community and confirmation of God's word. Um, All right, and we're back in the morning. Eli wants to know what's going on. And I don't know about you, but if God had told me the night before, hey, I'm about to, like, smite your boss and take his job and revoke his God-given promise, I would not be eager to relay that message the next morning. (laughs) And Samuel is not either. Um, And so Eli basically threatens him if he doesn't tell him everything he heard from God. Um, And I don't know how... I don't really have any theological commentary on that warning, but it's just what's there. Um, So Samuel does tell him, um, and Eli is like, all right, well, God can do whatever God wants. It's possible that that was an actual faithful response to what he had been told. Um, It's also possible that he had just kind of resigned himself to what was going on and was like, well, there's nothing I can do to stop it. I don't know. Um, Either way... Samuel gives the message, message, and then they kind of give us like a quick little wrap-up that Samuel um, has become a well-respected, recognized prophet in Israel, that God continues to reveal himself to Samuel there, um, and that basically, you know, it says his words will not fall to the ground. Basically, his prophecies come true. The words that God give him kind of come to fruition. Um, And so, again, I would not go to my boss tomorrow morning and tell him, hey, God's probably going to kill you soon. Um, So speaking truth is not always easy. Um, We may risk relationships, social status, general comfort in any particular situation that we're in by speaking hard truths. But 
God gives us those truths to speak them. Truth is not meant to be kept within your own mind as a secret. It's not meant to be kept in this room, in this group. It is for speaking to the world. Um, and so maybe you had a situation where you're at work and you watch like your coworker get disrespected by your boss because they made a mistake or something. The truth that we know is that your coworker is made in the image of God and their worth is more than job performance. Um, and speaking that truth into their lives could be what they need to hear. And what I'm not talking about is like, you watch something happen at work and you swoop in like, hey, let's, let's talk about how you're made in the image of God. Like we don't need to, I'm not saying that we all need to be on this kind of like constant lookout for an opportunity to like preach and proselytize to people because um, I spent way too long being shamed by mainstream evangelicalism for not like witnessing to every single person that I met. But speaking truth and living out God's truth does not need to look the same for everybody, and it does not need to look like this next meme that I have. Um, <laughs> we, it can look different for everybody. It does not have to be like this in-your-face, super Christianese, super churchy kind of thing. Um, and as we listen to God and as we listen to those around us and really enter into other people's lives and stories, we are going to figure out how to effectively speak truth. It may be that we can speak truth to someone without even mentioning God or Jesus. Um, that may be controversial to say from the pulpit in a church, but I said it. Um, it's gonna look different for people and you have to figure out through listening to the wisdom and truth that's available to you what that's gonna look like. Again, that still does not mean that it's gonna be easy or that it goes without risk, but you also have to consider what is going to happen if you don't speak. And I don't mean that God is gonna strike you down like Eli said was gonna to happen to Samuel. Again, I don't know, I don't know how kosher that was. Um, but if we see things where truth is needed, if we see places where truth is needed, it is our responsibility to speak it there. If we see oppression or policies, practices, social norms, or whatever that are mistreating or marginalizing a group of people, if we see economic policies that keep our neighbors in Richmond stuck in cycles of generational poverty and unstable, unaffordable housing, it is our God-given duty to speak out against that. And if we stand silently by while corruption continues to turn into oppression, we are sinning against our neighbors. If we heard the truth and we know the truth, and we do, that God is a God who breaks chains, and frees the oppressed, and we stand silently by while the criminal justice system disproportionately targets people of color, we are sinning against our neighbors. It is our duty to speak that truth into people's lives, into communities, and to systems. And we must be willing to bear the cross of discomfort if that is what is required for truth to be spoken. And so Sam does it. He speaks the hard truth, which eventually does take place um, as he said it would, God takes out Eli and his sons, and Samuel is then replaced, and his line is now the new priesthood in the temple. 
Um, So Samuel is rewarded by God with that position um, and also with the continuing of God's meeting with him and speaking to him and giving him words for him to then go and speak. Um, He's also rewarded by the status and respect among the Israelites and his position. Um, And not that he was a prophet just for that status or recognition, um, though I'm sure it was nice. Um, It does kind of indicate um, or point to the fact that um, listening and speaking as we are supposed to carries an inherent reward. And that reward is not like, it's not like this gift you get because you like did the transaction with God correctly. Um, it, is, it is that like what the, the way the world is supposed to be, that good and shalom, which is the Hebrew word for prosperity and well-being and peace and harmony, all the good things, all, that happens and that comes about when we listen and speak. Um, and so when we listen to truth and then speak it, our friends and our loved ones are comforted in hard times. Our own perspectives are challenged and grown and expanded, and we see the world more for what it is. Um, discriminatory policies are changed. Corrupt leaders either change their ways or lose their jobs when we speak truth. Um, and God has invited us, and I think, um, well, invited's a good word, um, has invited us into active participation in bringing about shalom for all people. And we must see, listen, and speak in response to that invitation. Okay. We should listen. We should speak. I think we're all on the same page there, right? We've established that. So what does that mean? Like, what am I actually supposed to do now? And there are a lot of ways that we can do this. Um, And to start, we should be listening to the voices of the people in our communities. Um, If people are making their experiences known, if they are um, calling for a change, or if there are people groups who experience a life that is very different than our own, um, we should listen to their stories, and we should do so humbly. Um, And that is one of these moments where that is a two-year, no-mouth moment. Um, We listen, we don't correct people or interrupt them or tell people that they are wrong about their own experiences, we just listen. And obviously, dialogue is very appropriate and you should be having dialogue if that is helpful for you to understand one another, but um, you have to start with listening and listening humbly. And then, once that space has been filled, once you have listened, then you can ask what effective, appropriate speaking would look like in response to what you've heard, if at all. There are, many, there are going to be times where you just listen and you don't have to speak. Um, and one moment like this, um, or kind of period of time like this for me, was my second year in college. Um, there was an incident where um, a student of color had been very violently arrested by undercover ABC agents because he was trying to use a fake ID to get into a bar. I'm not condoning that. I'm not saying that it was right, that, but he was probably one of 100 19 or 20-year-olds who were doing it that night, and it is just what happened. That is just the fact. And in response to that incident, Um, there were a lot of protests going on around grounds. And I really, I'm 19, 20 years old, like have not really experienced a lot of protests, kind of think about protesting the way that I did and kind of was taught to growing up in Mechanicsville, 
Um, if any of you know what that's like, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so I was very conflicted at first. I didn't know what to think about this situation. Um, you know, the facts were what they were, and it was hard for me to understand what I was supposed to be thinking. And honestly, also again, had some just conflicting thoughts about protesting itself. Um, until I sort of like walked up and I just stood around some of these protests and I heard the stories that people were telling, that like my black classmates and people in the community were telling me about things that absolutely have happened to them and their family members and their friends. And I was forced to put my own bias aside and to put my experiences aside, which looked nothing like theirs. Um, and I listened, and it really, really shifted my perspective um, on the situation, but also on protesting itself and kind of just that general sort of activism until you know I had to put myself aside and put them first and listen before I actually knew what truth was. And um, you don't have to go to protests or like be this super vocal active activist or whatever, engage with these like super tense topics to listen. Um, I think it's good. That's my space, I operate really well there. Um, but each of you have your own spaces where you are called to and should be listening. Um, and you're all here this morning. Um, and Center Church and Boulevard and our combined community are full of people whose lives look nothing like yours. And full of people with different stories and experiences and all of that. So get to know people here. Grab a coffee with someone, go get a beer, go get a mocktail, go to Gillies Creek Park and play frisbee golf. Um, that's not my thing, I would put your eye out, so please don't invite me to that. <laughs> Um, but get to know each other. Let God speak to you through the people in this room, the people in your communities and in your lives. Um, and let these different experiences show you the breadth and diversity of God's image. Because let me tell you, if you are only engaging with stories from people that are like you, you are missing out on God. You are not seeing God for the fullness of who God is, the full beauty of God's creation reflected in God's people if you are not listening to people who are different from you. You can also find a documentary about a culture or a life experience or a topic that you really know nothing about um, and just lean into the stories being told. Maybe have a little like documentary night. Please invite me to that, I would come to that. <laughs> um, and just enter into these stories and figure out what listening look like there and then as you move forward, what speaking could look like. Another opportunity for that um, is by joining a small group. I think we have some announcements about that later today, so we will hear about that later. Um, that is a great opportunity to do exactly what I'm talking about and to, to meet people and to listen to these stories and enter into that. Okay, so listening to other people, what about listening to God? Um, we're probably not going to be inviting God to like a sit-down coffee date anytime soon. Um, if you do, I would like to know how that goes. That's interesting. Um, so, what, so what should we do if we're going to be listening to God? Um, and, and to be honest, I'm still in a very like deconstructy sort of phase with regard to listening to God um, and what that means in my own life. But I do believe that God speaks 
to all of us and that we have the opportunity and responsibility to listen. And so there are a variety of spiritual practices that various folks have come up with over time that are intended to focus us on listening to the voice of God. Um, one of those is this particular kind of um, like prayer slash Bible reading combo. It's called um, Lectio Divina, which um, I know is not a spell from Harry Potter, which is misleading because that is what it sounds like. <laughs> Um, but it's, you know, in short, it's a method for reading a particular passage over and over again with kind of a different, like, guided focus question each time to just really figure out what God may be telling you through that passage. Um, there are a lot of people, I'm sure, in this room who have way more experience that with me and can walk you through it if that's something you're interested in. Um, also, the internet exists, so Google it. Um, Another way that many make space for God is through fasting, um, you know, a millennia-old tradition. Um, and that could be from actual, like, physical nourishment, which if that's something you're interested in, please do that safely. Talk to your healthcare provider. Um, it doesn't have to be from that. It can also be from something else in your life that may be distracting you from hearing from God and just removing whatever that thing is, removing that distraction and trusting that God is going to speak to you, he's going to meet you and fill that sort of like void. Um, in addition to that, there are also just a lot of different types of prayers that are for listening, whether that be guided or unguided, um, that give dedicated space for listening to God. Um, and, and then also, um, I mean, there are a bunch of ways. I just picked a few here. But um, really just paying attention to your instincts or kind of like your conscience, I really think is a way that we can listen and seek God. Um, I believe that we are both made in the image of God and indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And so, as the Bible says we are. And so I believe that we kind of have this innate ability to hear from God um, and that there is wisdom that can come from some sort of like instinctual pull to do or say something or respond in a certain way. And that may just be the voice of God in your life. And so hopefully we as a community here can commit ourselves to earnestly seeking to perceive God and then to speak and respond in faith together to the truth that we know. Um, and I believe that we will be met with truth and growth. Um, and, and just imagine what this community could be like as a church that is full of people who are seeking and listening to God's truth, who are training up the other people around us through discipleship and through relationship to be able to do that as well, who are listening to the voices around us in our communities and then are speaking God's will and God's truth in response. Um, and I think that if heaven is real, and please excuse my little shades of agnosticism there, um, it is a state of true relationship, of listening, seeking, and speaking with God and with God's creation. May it be in RVA as it is in heaven. Thank you. <laughs>